1: We want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Healing Insight. Healing Insight is an acupuncture and holistic medicine clinic on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senia May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from anxiety to fatigue, digestive issues, to women's health, and so much more. And we are living through such an uncertain time. Many of us are dealing with a level of stress and anxiety that we've just never seen before. And the team at Healing Insight is here to help. You know, stress takes its toll on our adrenals. And Senya can do a free phone consultation to see if virtual adrenal testing is right for you. Senia and her team are doing Facebook Live videos twice a week and personalized virtual appointments. So whether you're comfortable coming in in person or want to connect virtually, Healing Insight wants you to know they're here to take care of you. I've personally been seeing Senia for several years. I'm now part of her membership program, which means I have a standing monthly appointment. Senia was also our featured guest on one of our most listened to episodes of Best to the Nest, it's episode 25, simply titled Anxiety, and in episode 113, where we talk about coping with the COVID-19 global pandemic. Go to HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And today we're talking about one of my favorite topics in all of the land, Marjorie. It's farming. Yes!
2: I'm, I'm very excited about this because I want you to know, Elizabeth, I am a strawberry farmer. Oh! I harvested. I am... I am doing, the way that I farm is one strawberry at a time. <laughs> that's,
1: that's not so going to make gonna, you very much money, I can tell you that. It's not going to keep the lights on. <laughs> so I have harvested one strawberry a
2: week, and then <laughs> I had one stolen by either a squirrel or some sort of varmint. It was the most beautiful, luscious, big strawberry and oh, I know. got greedy Elizabeth I yeah. got greedy I had built a little I had built a little twig nest around it to protect it which my son said that was stupid but it had worked <laughs> it was a beautiful little nest it was a little house around this beautiful strawberry and I thought oh just one more day and it'll be perfectly red and I came out the next morning All of it gone. All of it gone. It it bit it off at the stem, took it away. I mean, it had to have carried it away with both hands. It
1: was so big. Listen, before you know it, you're going to be sitting out there with a pellet gun, and you're just going to be watching for whoever gets into your garden. Listen, don't you think Jay has not gotten out in the backyard with a (laughs) slingshot that he bought in cash so no one could track it to try to hunt down a raccoon (laughs) that was threatening our chickens? You can bet your Bippy he's done that.
2: It was quite traumatic, honestly. (laughs) It really was. I felt like it was almost like losing a pet. I had been nurturing that (laughs) strawberry so tenderly. And then to have it just disappear and not know where it went was very traumatic. And it gave me a whole new
1: appreciation for farmers and attachment to the land. I know. And you know, I mean, I say this all the time. I say it on television every time I can. I say it on the radio all the time. I say nobody works harder than a farmer. You will not find a single person working harder than a farmer in this country or in any other country. And that is just the truth of the matter. And if we don't have farms, we don't have food. And I think we've been talking a lot about food and where it comes from and our connection to it, particularly during the during the COVID-19 crisis, when I think there is a segment of the population that became acutely aware that we really take for granted the fact that we just go to the grocery store and get stuff. Because when you went to the grocery store, there was no stuff, Marjorie. And it felt very scary for a lot of people. And so what I think is really cool about that is the opportunity to say, hey, let's take a little bit of a shift and let's actually know where our food comes from and have much more of a connection to where it comes from. Now, Marjorie, you're not going to make a profit on your strawberry crop, but we certainly hope that our farmers that we know and love are making a profit. And the key to that is having a relationship with the people that they sell their food to and having a market. And so we're talking to a farmer today. Isn't this great? Which is wonderful because I think that that's really the key. And
2: I'm lucky enough that I live in Tempe, Arizona, and I know some of the farmers, because I've done stories on some of the farmers, and for people who are listening to this and they think, well, how the heck am I going to get to know my farmer? One, you're going to get to know one this morning, but two, farmer's markets are such a great way to support local farms, so I'm very excited about this.
1: It's so good. Okay, so our guest today is Karen Weiss from Littlefoot Farm in Afton, Minnesota, and I texted her this week and I said two things. I need to order half a hog and also will you be on my podcast? (laughs) And if you don't want to be on my podcast, that will not impact the sale of the half (laughs) a hog. (laughs) Good, 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 good. I'm still buying the pork. So Karen and her family live and work on Littlefoot Farm in Afton, Minnesota. They raise raise heritage hogs, grass-fed beef, and lamb, and then vegetables, herbs, and fruit. And it is truly, listen, I mean, I know it's easy to idealize life on the farm, and Karen doesn't make that plight any easier, because when you drive past the farm, you go, this is a magical place. The animals live outside, the family lives on site, and something is always growing there even mm. in the dead of a Minnesota winter so today we're going to talk about why small farms like Karen's are so important and then we're going to relate this back to our own nests right how can a relationship with where your food come from change the way you cook and eat in your home so we're chatting with Karen from the farm hey Karen good morning Elizabeth hi
2: Marjorie <laughs> nice to meet you Karen this is really exciting nice I have to meet you too a whole new appreciation for farmers I've gotten to know some really wonderful ones. Out in Arizona and when we talk about getting to know your farmer and why it's important or at least getting to know where your food comes from, I think just from the get-go, when you meet somebody who has labored over what they're producing, boy is it hard to waste their produce. Yeah. Right away, you have to have, you, I have such a greater appreciation now that I know the person who grew, you know, this citrus or who grew some of the other things that I buy at a farmer's market. And I, I love, I love that. But what's happening on your farm right now, Karen? Well, because it's spring, a lot is happening. So like my,
3: if, if I were to give you sort of a what happened in the last 24 hours on the farm, it's a pretty long list. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> that. Everything from, you know, I mean, the, the orchards in bloom, which is fantastic right so oh, the, yeah. the bees are buzzing out there like crazy We're, we also keep bees one of my sons um, and Sally do and I, I uh, try to help out when I'm willing to it's not my favorite deal but <laughs> anyways I love the honey and uh, I, love, I love all the, that I'm learning they're a very complex system oh, they're in, fascinating. in and of themselves so, so the orchards in bloom I was out picking asparagus this morning oh. you know we brought some animals in for harvest yesterday some sheep and pigs and one of my sons helped me and I swear if he would have had his camera and a video it would have been a hysterical youtube video because sometimes these these sheep are just wild and crazy and jump and i mean I, and i'm trying to sheep are not sheep are yeah. compl- they're, they're like masochists <laughs> and they're
1: they're smart but they're dumb they're like the dumbest smart animals yes,
3: they, they are so you know they try to crash through things so it's not an elegant process always trailering animals um so we did that and um you know piglets came out to the backyard this morning because they're at that age where We have to set gates up so that we can deal with them in winter, which is the perfect height for a two-week-old piglet to sneak under, you know. So (laughs) they're out running around and the dogs are chasing them. And, you know, there's just sort of lots of sort of... Fun chaos this time of year. And then deep, yesterday, deep. yesterday I was out doing fence repair in the pasture and Always. filling in these massive holes that we have out there when a badger popped his head out of one of those massive holes oh my gosh. to check out the country music I was listening to on the radio. Oh. And he, he literally was maybe 15 feet away from me at the most. And he, he kept popping his head out and going back down and popping his head out. And I was, first of all, irritated, like, okay. <laughs> And maybe he knew I was filling something in on the other hand, right? There was but also sort of <laughs> amazed and scared and terrified at the same yeah. time. Just, so you're managing predators. Both of my sons, they each raise batches of chickens. So we're dealing with sort of predator management with regards to those <laughs> those animals on yeah, the farm right now and securing the them while giving them freedom, which is a big part of um and predators maybe not the Only word you can use, you know, for the rest of the animals that live on our farm. But they, uh, they require management when you are giving freedom to animals. And so we've been dealing with the rest of the animals that we're not (laughs) actually raising on purpose. (laughs) We've been dealing with those a lot lately too. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot going on in spring.
2: And when w- did you grow up
3: on a farm? I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in uh, Roseville, which is just a small little inner loop <laughs> suburb. And um but sort of took a circuitous route to farming and um have been taking it pretty seriously for the last 10 years where we've been raising um, animals for meat production and sort of um had a, a farm that we evolved into a kind of a perennial type farm where we're not really growing anything that we just turn over year after year. So we don't grow annual vegetables. We don't bring in animals to finish. Um, Everything is born here on the farm and then eventually finds an eater here directly from the farm. Um, It is just so
1: cool. I mean, because when I first met you, Karen, you guys just had the pigs. I don't think there were even the sheep or the cow. And then you had chickens, of course, but those are a given. Those show up regardless. (laughs)
3: Yeah, Yeah, so we did. We started with pigs. And we love, they're still our favorites for sure. But we had this pasture, we we turned everything from commodity crop into pasture. So then we needed oh. to either to hay it or graze it. And the truth of the matter is when we started to hay it, the pocket govers, which... Took up residence because everything around us is in corn or soybeans. So there's no real habitat for them. They Man. ended up coming to our farm. And so <laughs> the the folks that we would hire to hay would be like, uh, Karen, that is such a bumpy ride. I am, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> right. So we decided, wow. well, we better get eaters instead, which made more sense anyways. It was kind of where we were headed to. So now we don't, now we graze our, 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 our herd and then another herd or another part of a herd from Friends down the street, and then they pay, obviously other pasture, and and so it, it's it's really been a nice relationship. So so we graze cattle, and then we added the sheep because of course you know once you have cattle grazing, you might as well have sheep.
1: So. You might as well have sheep, and that brings us so beautifully to the next part of the conversation, which is diversity on farms. Now when Karen talks about this farm diversity and all of the different things that you have going on the farm, I mean that is. So rare when it comes to farms in the United States. The idea that you have all of those different animals and plants and things growing on the farm. But that is what makes your farm so alive. That's why everything's buzzing and everything's going on. So let's talk a little bit about that idea of diversity on farms, Karen, and why looking when you're, when you're even, I think just deciding on a relationship with a farmer, why choosing one that is diverse is important.
3: Well, I would say there's there's several reasons why you would, as a small farmer, right? As we're talking of, if you're, you know, let's call it a forty acre farm, or even if you're twenty yeah. acres, or even if you're eighty acres, potentially, that is a, of a size where you really can't just have a single crop and and have that be a profitable profitable enterprise. So, but at the same time, there's a reason that small diverse farms are declining. It's a lot of work <laughs> yes. and, and it's, it's a lot to manage and it's a lot to figure out. And there really is no formula for it. You just sort of have to learn and evolve and adjust and change. And so for us, we've sort of found a system where we've grown certain things at times to a size, scaled them, I should say, to a size that really wasn't a great fit. So to find the scale of everything has taken a lot of time. Um, and now we're at a we're at a stage where we really haven't adjusted the scale too much in the last couple of years. So you know, our orchard, for example, our pigs are in there in the fall; they clean up the apple drops, which is great. They you know, obviously the the orchard itself helps with the bees. The ground cover in the orchard also is a pollinator-friendly environment. So that's kind of a symbiotic relationship. Um, Our animals are outside year-round, but for the most part in winter, they hang out and they poop and pee indoors, right? And so we take that, which is in a bedding pack, in straw mixed with straw and that goes into a compost pile that we turn and then eventually that compost gets reutil you know used on the farm in the orchard setting and in various other places and it's not a perfect system don't don't get me wrong there's definitely places where where we wish we could manage things neater and tidier and in, in terms of outputs and inputs right but for the most part that diversity does two things it mitigates some risk right because some years the pest population of a certain thing is so high that it takes out everything that it it favors raspberries for example you know Mm -hmm. maybe or japanese beetles when they're really bad they'll kill a certain crop but they'll maybe leave blueberries alone um Mm -hmm. and so if you have enough diversity on your farm you can withstand some of the environmental sort of hazards that that are We are seeing more and more often. And the same thing with the animals too, the diversity of animals. We can graze sheep and cattle together because they choose different, different feeds out there on, on the pasture. They don't always like the same things and, and one will clean up. You kind of graze sheep behind and they're, they're less picky. Then you can run the pigs in there because they aren't picky at all. They just turn (laughs) everything up. We have a litter of pigs in our, in a wooded area that they, we use to clean up buckthorn and, and to keep the ground tilled up. Oh my know. god. Um is they tilled up a garden for us the other day. Not it wasn't really by design. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? This is where all garden will be now. <laughs> you know, so I mean there's different well, ways that it they work together. And sometimes they sort of fight each other and we deal with all oh, that was overkill on that situation. That was too mm-hmm. much or too little. But we've sort but, of struck a balance but it's taken a long time to get there.
2: I just love listening to you talk about it because I think the hot word in sustainability Is circular economies, and I think all we have to do is go back and look at a small farm to see the definition of a circular economy. And I think there are so many lessons to learn from. I think the mindfulness that you have to have in order to run a small farm. Now, Karen, this is your livelihood, correct? I mean, this isn't right. This isn't a farm. We farm for profit,
3: right? We farm for profit, but you know, we're like most farms, or we're like every farm, small farm that I know, where off farm income. Is really what sustains your family. Yeah, You certainly approach every year as though profit on the farm is a requirement, right? It's right. Um, because of all the work that goes into it. And it's, it's not easy to do. It's, <laughs> it's a challenging equation and it's, it's challenging. In a time like this, it's sort of interesting. Obviously farms like ours that produce meat, it's in very high demand. And right. you know, people are sort of coming out of the woodwork, which is on the one hand, it's just an awesome thing to sort of have people who dro- have been driving by for years and will stop in and go, I've been driving by for years. And it just never either a, they don't have time, right? It's just not on their convenience measure to stop in when they're on their way home, when they've already mm-hmm. done grocery shopping or somewhere else to buy one item or two items, right? But at the same time, to try to pivot to support that is really difficult. Oh, yeah, so you can't just sort of magically snap your finger and say, OK, we'll produce five times the amount of meat <laughs> that we were right. a year ago, you know. But, and so yeah. we can't really support any more than we already do. But at the same time, we we want so much for people to sort of have an aha moment to sort mm-hmm. of say, you know, these things we val we value these things in our lives. And while we sort of. You know, we take it a lot for granted in most of the time. When you do sit down and you think about how you want to look at food as something that's sustaining you, maybe having a little more transparent source, maybe something you value. Maybe having a source that is, if you're an animal lover and a meat eater, Maybe you want to think about, okay, how how do I want to balance that out in my life? If you're a vegetarian, but not a vegan, and you eat eggs, do you want to think about what happens to the hen after it's produced the eggs and maybe source stew hens as, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can approach depending on what your particular priorities are. But at the end of the day, if you try to just move a little bit towards seasonal, seasonal and more transparent food sources, you will end up gravitating to something that's local.
1: Yeah, it's that. so true, Karen. Um, it is so true. And that that really helps to break it down for people. And I've talked about this before. I was vegetarian for four years when I was in my early 20s. And it's because I read the book Diet for a New America, <laughs> yeah. which will turn anyone vegetarian, by yeah. the way. So be careful if you decide to read it. But it is... What the book does is it outlines the the conditions of factory farming, and it is quite troubling. And so at the time when I read that book, and I'm an animal lover and a meat eater, and at the time when I read that book, I couldn't afford and didn't have access to meat that I felt was possible to have raised in the way that I thought it should be raised. And so... I just quit eating meat altogether. And then as I things kind of progressed and I was able to move different places and find connections with different people and then also not be living off of like $8 an hour, then things improved and I was able to like start to afford that. And so I started eating meat again. But my philosophy has always been that... Animals were created to live a certain way, right? I mean, when you see a pig, you know how a a pig wants to live, (laughs) right? It's not a pet. And they want to, they want to snuffle in the ground. They want to go through and get everything. They want to roll around outside. They want to raise their young. I mean, these are all things that these animals were created to do. And so my meat philosophy and egg philosophy and basically all animal product philosophy has been to purchase products that are raised in the way that these animals were designed to live. So like when I look at my chickens in the backyard, you know, I got three of them, Karen, it's a real big deal. And I I, they, they live like chickens want to live. They, we protect them, but then like they're outside in the yard, Right now, eating the tips of grass and pecking around and finding all sorts of bugs and slugs and whatever. And the truth of the matter is that most meat and eggs that are raised in this country and milk, these animals are not living like the animals were intended to live. I That's my fundamental belief. And that's a hard thing. Because when you see a farm like Karen's and you see, like, the piglets out and about and the piglets nursing from the mama and, the you know, all these things happening, that's not happening in a lot of places. Well,
2: and I think when you talk about that, Elizabeth, if you just take it to the consumer side, your eggs taste better. That's true. Sure. Things, things taste better when the animals that are producing it for us are living under the conditions – I believe this in my heart – when they're living under conditions that are more natural and more akin to what it would have been 100 years ago. I um, I interviewed I, – I've told Elizabeth about this, but Karen, I interviewed a dairy goat farmer, and he makes some of the best goat cheese in the valley. And – his whole philosophy is the cheese tastes good because the goats are happy. It's happy cheese. And I a hundred percent agree with him. I think it's, it's how it's, it's how it, 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 maybe it can't be in order to feed the amount of people that we need to feed. But I think we have to keep getting close back to it as close as we can. And I think for those of us that, have the means to or have the transportation to or can get closer to our farmers I think it's kind of our duty to do it that's um th- that's one of the things
3: I I often struggle with in talking to to folks about what we do because I mm-hmm. don't want to judge folks people who make other decisions right yeah the right. Um, the price point even though we've eliminated a distributor and a retailer and a from you know from the equation our price point is not the same right i mean one of the things i always tell folks is just eat less meat i mean truly yeah. we we raise meat right. but if we if we all ate less of it that would be a good place to start right and then choose at least incrementally again choose s- some place where you sort of say all right i'm going to sort of draw the line here and i mm-hmm. i always make the pitch for pigs because generally speaking in any large type of production setting the animal that has an experience that is the farthest from what they should be living it would be pigs right mm-hmm. pigs are oh, wow. very smart i posted something on my facebook page the other day about this, this the things that are different and the same between our dogs and the pigs and yeah. and really when you when you put the list together you'd like all right we love our dogs, but man, I'm just, <laughs> the, the pigs, they, they've got a, quite a few qualities that are actually, you know, with the exception of of course, is that they grow, they have a stomach that is much larger than, you know, right. than you would sort of want to maintain, they're harder to maintain their size, right? So, but, but pigs in general are the ones that have, we've created such a commodity approach to that animal that it's, it's really borders on unacceptable and inhu- inhumane in a way that I'm uncomfortable supporting.
0: Yeah. Right.
3: E- even though I, that's the one thing I do judge and I don't judge the farmers necessarily because they did not start out thinking, oh, I want to raise these animals in this way. But there's a necessity that goes with scale. There's a right. necessity that comes with giving, if you take, if you give freedom to an animal and and the what you have to do to manage that. Is extremely labor and land intensive, right? Mm-hmm, so right. if, if, but they, they live from birth to death in a really difficult environment. Yeah. Where really beef cattle, sheep, chickens, although, um, chickens, I'll set that aside. Yeah, that chickens get <laughs> But, <Yeah. laughs> um, for a lot of their life, they are pasture grazed. They are outside. They end up in a feedlot, which is not a great experience. And then things have to be done to support them being able to tolerate that. But, Pigs are the one where I would say if you're going to make any little step forward in the sort of humane animal welfare focused approach to meat eating, um, I would start with pigs and then follow that with chickens. <laughs> and, and the thing about chickens is we're so used to these chickens that are, are hybridized. And again, I would even take it one step further and I would say don't buy a, a hybridized Animal yeah, one right. that's been improved, one that's been improved to be a widget, right? One that's been improved to be able to Gosh. fit into a system that is efficient and and cheap and gains and is this is identical to every other one in mass, which is what has to be done in order to produce a factory farm. So find heritage breeds so that we can keep the diversity, that biological diversity that is so important. In the animal kingdom just like it's important for to have heirloom tomatoes and heirloom seed it's important to have heirloom animals that have not been improved quote unquote right in order to fit into these large systems because as soon as you lose that you can't really get that back yeah the animals that we raise in meat production large-scale meat production can't really live in the way our pigs live anymore. They, right. they, they all of those things, all of those skills have been bred out of them. And so I would just sort of say, you know, even to take one small step here and there to look look for and try to support in a, an animal that is her, heritage and breed or unimproved, so to speak, um, that isn't a hybridized, which means it's not going to be grown in a, in a large scale setting. And just... Eat a little bit of that while you're eating a little less of the other kind.
1: <laughs> it's such a, yeah. You know, I mean, it's such a good philosophy, and it is so smart, and it helps people. I think Karen so much to have that starting point because I do think yes. the step that I yes. took in my early twenties, which was to just not eat it at all, I didn't feel great about that either. Right. But I didn't know what else to do, and I felt so overwhelmed and well, sad. Well, you're at an age now, Elizabeth, where when you were doing that, there were no yeah. other options. I know. I, there <laughs> no, wasn't. I mean, I was living in Duluth, all, I right? couldn't get you anything. Can go yes. to
3: Chipotle and feel pretty yes. good about a Naturals. Right? I mean, I know. I know. It's not perfect, but the farms and the way they raise those animals are so many steps above, right? They're yeah. not all the all the way to where you'd want to be necessarily, but you can't. I mean, there's certainly a, a there's certainly a situation there where you have to make some trade-offs. You can buy Applegate and feel pretty
2: good about that. Mhm. You know. And I think we have to get to the point too, for the for when we're talking about mass consumption, of acknowledging that better is better. That if 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 like when you say you can go to Chipotle, that's going to surprise a lot of people. I, that's one of the reasons I do go to Chipotle is I know that they make that they do that with some intention. But I think that'll surprise people that that would be on like a, a a good list of they're trying. I think there are lots of places where you can go where you can ask questions about where the meat's coming from and all of those things. But just from a consumer side again, which is I think what we're what we're in the big picture what we're talking about when we're talking about our own nests. When you talk about those heritage breeds, I think the one thing people may not be thinking about. I think more people are thinking about this, but I would just say. When you buy really good meat, it's going to be more expensive, yes, but it will taste better. So eat less of it right? and put more vegetables on your plate. Exactly.
1: No, it's very true. It is. That, that
2: you should really be thinking about when we think about our nests and how we cook and what we're eating and what we're feeding our families – That's a big deal. If you're going to pay more, somebody, I won't out her, but I was talking to somebody and they're like, hey, we've got this chicken, this roasted chicken for $4. And it was everything I could do to just not make that a moment. Of judgment? Yeah. yeah. It's a four dollar chicken and it's gonna taste like a four dollar chicken.
1: It's so funny. When my when I was growing up, my mom so my mom always made southern fried chicken for us because she's from Texas and we love it. And and she says she has this saying and she gets real southern when she says it and she says, I can smell cheap chicken a mile away. I can smell cheap chicken a mile away. Because I remember she wouldn't get chicken from the grocery store when we were kids. She would go to like the specialty butcher shop that was in town and go and buy chickens there when we would have chicken. And she would always say that. And I remember that being like a fundamental, and certainly we had lucky charms in the cabinet at all times, guys. It was not perfection (laughs) in the Reese house, let me tell you. But that being said, when it came to a cheap chicken, I remember that message very early on connecting with me that there is something about where you put your dollars. Okay. And there's, I also want to talk. There's to, one other oh, thing ahead. I want
3: to just add to that real quick. Yeah. Is that there are, there is some ways to help solve that a little bit. And one of the ways is to buy cheaper cuts of meat from higher quality yeah. animals. Yeah. And I get oh, uh, requests all the time for, okay, how do I use this skirt state? Or how do I use this flank state? Oh. Or how do I use this flat iron steak? And how do you how do you cook it, right? Cuz they're they're cheaper, tougher, slower slow cook cuts, right. or you know, the shanks. Braised shank of anything is fantastic. And so you can you can find ways to sort of lower some of that price point a little bit. By buying not this, not your tenderloin or you, you know your your pork loins or your expensive right. cuts, but by those slower, cheaper cuts of meat, and then cook them in the. You can Google all kinds of great cooking options. It's very easy to do, and so that I, I've been doing that a lot with folks because we. I always say, if you're going to buy this from me, you're also going to have to buy this from me. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're going to buy the high-end cut, you also are going to have to try these cuts
2: oh, I because love that. we don't
3: want to waste. We don't want to have a freezer full at the end of the at the end of the month or whatever yeah. it is right. full of just um, like I said, like flat iron steaks. People go, huh? What do I do with that? Right. So I, I kind of force that on people to say, you know what, give it a try, and here's how you cook it. And usually they go, they'll send a text and they go, that was fantastic. Yeah, oh, cool. So that's one. That's, that's one way to kind of help mitigate a little bit of that cost, and not. A, It's not going to solve all of it, but it does help a little bit.
1: Listen, that's like chicken thighs are way cheaper than chicken breasts. I mean, if you're going to buy like a pieced up chicken, chicken thighs are so, and they're so much better, guys. It's like the best thing. It's the it's the (laughs) secret. Whenever I make chicken thighs, my children are like, oh, I love this chicken. (laughs) I love this chicken. They love it. So I want to talk to Karen about that idea also of we bring everything back to our own homes on this podcast. It's all about trying to create this healthy, strong home so that when you leave the nest, you can be your best. And and I really think what we've been talking so much about on this podcast is everything that you bring into your home means something and has a story and has something to it. And I think there is a shift when you are bringing food in that is high quality and good and you're connected to the growers. It's like a different feeling when you get home from the farmer's market with your bag of stuff than when you get home from just kind of whatever generic store. And I'm sure you have to find that from people, Karen. They, I mean, they connect with you and they want to come back.
3: Absolutely. And I mean, it. we have that same experience ourselves, right? When we get to a certain part of the year where we're making a meal that's completely from the farm, mm-hmm. it's really hard to beat. Um, yeah. And so, even we as farmers have that experience. And it's like we were talking earlier about the first sip of coffee of the day. That's like the best one, right? <laughs> the first ear of sweet corn. But you don't want to buy that sweet. I don't. I won't eat sweet corn if it's not Minnesota grown, right down the street. Sweet yep. corn, right? That was harvested no. like within two hours because mm-hmm. that's the best. And and so trying to eat more seasonally. And locally, just that alone will improve the quality of your food. When I can tomatoes, if I'm canning heirloom tomatoes, that those jars, I won't let anybody touch those. You know, (laughs) because in in preserving, I mean, that's the next step, right? If you want to take that and, and say, well, that doesn't, that first bite of corn doesn't do me any good a month later, right? Well, preserve it it preserves, that flavor stays. So we do a lot of canning and freezing and encourage people to do that all the time. When something is in season, buy it and preserve it. And you will actually know the difference. It does taste better even under those circumstances and which there's nothing better than having a Pomodoro, you know, angel hair with an heirloom tomato sauce Ugh. in February, you know, yeah. it's just the best. So
1: it's so true. Um,
3: buying seasonally, buying locally, and then preserving, learning to preserve it is—I mean, it's kind of a homesteading philosophy, but it really yep. does. And there's not, and again, when I walk in the back door, which we have a kind of a pantry wall, when we come in our mudroom, and I look up on the shelves, and there it's full of jams and honey and and canned goods and pickles and tomatoes. It's just the best feeling. It's like, you know, okay, in a zombie apocalypse, you know, we've got,
1: we've got canned chicken and tomatoes. No kidding. Or a global pandemic. I mean, it's totally true. And I think, I mean, we don't even have to search too far to say zombie apocalypse. And that's what people are searching for, you know, that sense of security. And I, and you can do that in karen's fashion which is so beautiful to have this gorgeous farm and at our our former house was 0.13 of an acre and i spent the two days before franklin was born pulling five pounds of cherries off my cherry tree in the front yard and making jam i mean so the point is that it can be done out in the country and i had my own little version of that mini version very mini version of that on that small of a piece of land but that food security i am just convinced, and and I've been on this path for about a decade in my own life, but that a freezer full of meat where I knew where it came from, things that are preserved from my own garden, growing things in my own garden, having a relationship with people that I know that I can send a text to and go, hey, can I buy this from you directly? It is like a sense of security that you have that then when the bleep hits the fan, like right now, you don't have that fear of I'm not going to be able to feed my family. And fear is not good and security is good.
2: And I think, too, I mean, I always feel like we have to circle back again to sort of the – a lot of the consumers out there that are are living – And before the pandemic, we're living with financial fears Mm -hmm. and financial insecurity. I, I remember thinking when my kids were little, because when my husband and I first got married, we were so, so broke. And by the time we had kids, we were doing a little bit better. And going to the grocery store, I knew what it felt like to go to the grocery store when I didn't have much money. And it was very stressful. And luckily, it was just the two of us. And so, you know, I'd clip coupons and whatever and i remember thinking when i had kids i had this deep sense of gratitude that i could get what i needed that i could choose organic milk that i could choose the best eggs because i knew i knew that that to me that that mattered for them that's what i wanted for them and i didn't i didn't have a lot of stress at the grocery store but i remember very clearly what that stress felt like and so i think mm-hmm. when we're talking about these things when we talk about knowing where your food comes from and all of that, people immediately, as we've talked about, talk about price point and expense. And I would just stress to people, if you're listening and you've got young kids and things are hard right now, or financially it's hard, do check out your farmer's market. Because what I loved is when I went and did a story on one of the farmer's markets in Phoenix, they had this whole program that if you were on, you had subsidized coupons. You know, if Yeah, you had- like WIC or something. Yeah, if you had that, they had a program where you would turn that in and they would give you these like chips and it doubled your money. So if you were spending it on vegetables, you would use those that $10 or that $20 that you received from the government and it would be worth $40 in vegetables or $40 in, in the produce that was at the market. Yeah. And so I think it's really important when people think about this, especially if you've lost your job or anything, if you're under financial stress – Look around for the programs because a lot of communities now, a lot of governments, small, you know, small city governments are acutely aware of the connection of the farmers markets to their own towns and they're trying to come up with programs to make that food be affordable and easy to purchase so just i think it's it's worth knowing that you can go out there and try and see if there's a program like that in your neighborhood because i just i was stunned when the woman who ran the farmers market was telling me about it i was like this is the best thing ever because it's good for the farmers and it's good for the the people that want to feed their kids good healthy food so
1: i think that's kind of exciting Yeah, there's certainly avenues and resources out there. Let's talk about, Karen, before we go, life on the farm. Because, again, you know, and I always do this with you because I think your farm is so beautiful and it's like you just think it's magical and Karen and Sally and the boys are floating around (laughs) everywhere and they're flitting and flatting around and they're just leaping for joy and they're just stopping to smell flowers all the time. But that raising your family on a farm is an experience that, like, your kids are going to grow up and go, I grew up on a farm and that's a very cool and it will be a unique thing. What are some of the things that you're seeing that are benefits to your family from, from living this way? Even though I know it's so
3: much work. (laughs) Well, yeah, like you, you have this fantastic podcast if I did a podcast, it would probably be called something like "So You Want to Be a Farmer," right?
1: <laughs> okay. That's a good and, podcast name. Yeah, right? I'd listen. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. And when I when I think about the kids, I, I mean, I, th- I think about this all the time. I think is are they going to look at the farm when they're older and s- think of it like you know the, you know how we have these memories of a vacation that really are through rose colored glasses, right? Yeah. right? Right? Is that how they're going to think of the farm, like it was this <laughs> fabulous thing, or are they going to think, "Oh my god"? <laughs> My, my mom's worked so hard. That's not, you know, I don't What were they really, doing? Why did do they do right? that? You know? Yeah. And I always have had this idea that as I'm doing these chores and building these things out, that when the kids are of an age where they really can take on a lot of it, I'll be at the age where I'll be able to back off. I'm aging faster than they are. Clearly, <laughs> so, and my my sort of time frame is like still three years out, and I'm like oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can manage it. But they are taking on more and more, in part because they're home. And so one of oh, the yeah. massive silver linings of this COVID 19 situation has been them being home, coming out during their lunch break. And saying, hey, mama, what are you doing? You know, um, checking on their chickens, finding me, coming out to the pasture to find me, exploring the farm in ways that they never have before. And it hasn't turned them off to it, which I think is a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so I know that the experience that they're having will matter to them in ways that they don't resonate with them always now. Right. When they think now, when we talk about it, almost as kind of a trick, what if we sold the farm guys, right? <laughs> you know, they go, huh, what? Uh-huh. Huh? You know, yeah. well, at the same time, they would love to live in a neighborhood where they had friends right yeah. across the street, right? And so, right. you know, there's a tricky balance there to sort of the country living distant from neighbors, trying to create a community that I think they now see is, exists. It's just not in our face, Right. The community that we've developed here on the farm with other farmers, with local folks here that appreciate what we do is significant and important in ways that they don't see as often, but in ways that really they feel a strong sense of aha, like okay, this is important and we don't know why we we value this, but we do. You know, I can you can tell that they do. They love it if a customer comes to say, Hey mom, a customer's here, you know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um and so they they are certainly learning about the hard stuff as well as the joys. You know, there's a lot of hardships and a lot of hard things happening on a farm when you raise livestock. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of, and they've experienced that themselves again with having responsibility for the last few years of chickens that they raise batches of and having to care for them and, and losing some of them and how that is real. And so, you know, that's a pretty small scale kind of thing, but they see a lot of what goes on and recognize that that experience is unique and is special and it's not perfect and it's not all just fantastic. But it's it's one I don't think they would want to trade in for anything. So, no, you know, we forget I, and, about that. You know. Well, and
1: that gift, I mean, that gift that you give to them, and, and I think you can – you certainly don't have to live on a farm. It helps if you live on a farm. But the gift of giving your children the connection to their food yep. is an unbelievable gift. And that is something that we're working on all the time with our kids. And I just feel that it's so important because I think it helps them – Understand their place in the world, understand their responsibility in the world. It allows them to have a positive relationship with food, which so many right. people don't have. And, and it allows and them to see. That's fair. That's fair. If you're not an asparagus fan, you can make that call. Yep. Yep. You can totally make that call. But that gift is, is incredible. And, um, and Karen, you, you know, I sing your praises. So I'm just so happy that you were able to join us today and talk to us about this. And Marjorie, too, I'm going to post on our social media a story I did at Karen's farm four years ago. Oh, good. Where I commented that I looked much younger. And you guys can watch that, too, so that you can get a visual of the farm that we're talking about.
2: And Karen, I also think, you know, after my my big um, strawberry tragedy, (laughs) I also think the lessons they're learning are about hardship. And I think the sense of I can only – I can't imagine. I was going to say I can't imagine, but I really can't imagine what it would be like to lose all the raspberries, Right. I lost one straw- I lost right. one strawberry, and I was very upset about that, right so I think there's something about losing of of learning how to deal and overcome all the time, which I think is probably a part of farming is oh, that cycle of loss and gain it's um if it were more gain than loss, more people would do it not how yeah, so many
3: right. people do it because really that's the the reality is sort of the reverse there's a, there's more of the other stuff um that goes right. along with it, and even even if you are the best farmer in the world which I am not you have a lot of things that you have to sort of overcome and then and be resourceful and figure out and learn learn from and if they they understand exactly the the progression of a a, a piglet to a bacon right? right all of it um and so they value that and i think if we all had an understanding of sort of that birth to death aspect of meat And even the birth to death aspect or ingesting of a marshmallow, right? We need less of both, right? You know, (laughs) we need less of both of those things. If we understood all of the processed food and exactly where that comes from and what that's done, what that does to you as a, and the same thing with, with meat, if we're animal lovers, right? And so just understanding a little bit more of how food is produced and what the trade-offs are and having more transparency in the system in general so that people can make their choices. That's what I always try to advocate for. It's just more transparency and knowledge so that people can make informed choices and then they can use their resources to enhance their life in, in ways that are more meaningful than just kind of the everything for convenience sake. Cause that's, it's an easy trap to get into, you know, even we do it, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. It is. Thanks love Karen. That. Oh, love you. Thank you so much. I'll send you back my cut sheet. I got it. So I'm all set to go. <laughs> and I'll right. probably have questions cuz I'm always like, "Wait, yeah. what do I like again? Why do I want this done? What's the thickness of the pork chops? It's so good." Thank Karen, me. take care and thank you. We will also post that you can connect with Karen on Little Foot Farms Facebook page, which is where they're posting all sorts of great stuff and um and find out how you can get your hands on some Little Foot meet and uh, and find your local farmer. It's good stuff. Sounds great. Thanks, gals.
2: If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts from Pape04. She says, The college episode, Elizabeth. Thank you. As a mom of a senior, I am having those emotions every day and it is uncharted territory. And so just hearing how I am
1: feeling... I feel normal. Oh, we are uh, so but, glad. That's great. Yeah, we glad. Um, hey, we want to mention, too, that we have a special, exciting thing to share with you. If you want to get in on an exclusive Best to the Nest Zoom happy hour, Marjorie, you can, okay? So here's what we're doing. <laughs> you can win a chance to chat with us on Zoom. We're going to do our very first Zoom happy hour, and it's going to take place on Thursday, June 11th from 5 to 6 p.m. So 20 winners will be invited to join an hour-long Zoom zoom meeting room chat with us and listeners and then we can talk about anything that's on your mind ask questions discuss bringing your best to the nest so here's what you need to do you need to get the pod mn app okay so marjorie this is a really cool app and best to the nest is on it and it's minnesota based podcasts so if you're interested in other local podcasts too it's a great opportunity to take a look at what's being produced in our great state It's available in the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. You listen to 30 minutes of Best to the Nest in a day, on the pod MN app and then you earn a chance to win. So when you listen for at least 30 minutes in a day, you'll get one entry towards the prize. Isn't this fun? I know. I can't wait to see
2: people. I just I think know. that'll be so much fun to see the little best of the nest community and just hang out. And you all might have questions for us, but I've got questions for all of you. So I know. Please, um, please join us. I think it'll be really fun. I'm hoping and I'm guessing we're going to record this and I, I would love to turn this, that into a best of to the nest episode. Wouldn't so that be other so people, fun? Yeah, so other people can hear the community that's out there. I, I, I just love can't that wait. idea.
1: So yeah. the contest ends May thirty first, twenty twenty, at eleven forty five p.m. So get that Pod MN app again available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Listen to thirty minutes daily of the Best to the Nest podcast, and you will be entered. And then uh, the team there at Pod MN will let you know if you've been selected. So we're so looking forward to that. Also, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest, or go to Best to the To subscribe to our newsletter, we are the podcast that brings you home.
0: To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it,